today's episode of The Balance, Josh Ryman and Melinda Brown Magnani join me to discuss cash management and invoicing. So hello, welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Today's discussion focuses on cash management and the benefits of a strong invoicing system. We therefore changed things up a bit and invited the CEO of a small business and business manager of an invoice-intensive nonprofit to compare and contrast models. Our first guest today is Josh Ryman. Josh, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I run a design agency for nonprofits called Great Believer. We work with a lot of great nonprofits, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of New York City, School of American Ballet, Fresh Air Fund, and so on and so forth. And I can give you a little background on how I started the business. That sounds good. That's perfect. Thanks, Josh. Okay. Post-college, my career choice was to go into the advertising world and felt like my soul was being sucked and wanted to find something that I can connect with more. So really wanted to find a way to use the skills that I had generated over the years to help organizations. And one thing that I always noticed is that nonprofits often have challenges with design, with designing their website, their logo, their print materials. And it's often because they have somebody in-house doing it, a friend of a friend, the executive director's daughter, something like that. And I wanted to try to find a way to help. And luckily, through my advertising days, I'd made friends with a lot of really talented designers. And that's how Great Believer started. And that was now 10 years ago when the company first started. And today we focus on creating websites. We create branding, so logos and branded materials like business cards and annual reports. And speaking of annual reports, we do print work, which often is annual reports, but also brochures, one sheets, and other sorts of printed materials. And that's who we are. And so now I'm going to introduce our next guest, Melinda Brown Magnani. Melinda? Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about you, your background and your current work? Yes, I have quite a diverse background. I have come up through the financial world, but my passion has always been in education. And I ended up making my way in my community to Concordia College and just kind of pulled me back to my roots. And at that point, it was about 22 years ago, and I met the executive director of Concordia Conservatory, where I am today. And I actually met her because I came and interviewed to be a student for private piano. I grew up in a musical family, and I was going to go back to my music roots and really kind of get my balance back and play the piano again. And I was pretty excited about it. And I met Kathleen, who is an absolute ball of energy. And of course, she just roped me right in. Not only was I taking (laughs) piano lessons, but then all of a sudden, you know, I was on the faculty and I was teaching. And then all of a sudden, I was a board member. And (laughs) I wear a lot of different hats here. I really am everything business operations oriented. So not only do I register everyone, I interview families and place kids with faculty. I take care of the bills and I make sure payroll is done. And I do all of the donor, the intake. And we found out this year that Concordia Conservatory was going to spin off and become its own independent entity. And we're going to file for our own 501c3 because the college was closing. And that's when we started working with Brand K. 
So Josh, you and I have been working together now for about a year and a half. And I think the one area where we can frequently commiserate is just some of the complexities around running a small business, a small business that's rapidly growing, as you have been. And I think one of the big things is around cash management. And I'm wondering if you would just maybe give a little bit of insight here or background as to kind of what you've experienced over the past few years. Yeah, the work we do with these nonprofits is almost entirely project-based. So we talk to them and they say, we want a new website. And we say, great, we can do that. Here is our plan. It's going to take about 10 months and we are going to settle on a project fee. The challenge is that it makes it complicated and often a little scary to know what's coming next. We don't have as much recurring revenue. We have some. We do website hosting. We do website maintenance. So there is a degree of that. But the cash flow concern is often coming from the fact that our work is project-based. And also, we are you know, a small business. But as we become a little bit less small, our overhead increases dramatically. So the pressure is on to keep finding more projects to do and finding ways to keep the team occupied. So I think what keeps me up at night a little bit is just not knowing what's coming next. And I think that's so relatable to small business owners and small nonprofit organizations. It really is. And if we don't get paid, we can't pay our faculty. When people ask me all the time, like, how do you make it all go so quickly and everything like that? I said, you have to be organized. You have to have a policy. Stick to your policy. We've had our billing processes in place, you know, for quite a while. And it works. A fun fact about me... I grew up in a small family business, family owned, started by my great grandparents. And this year is the 100th anniversary of the company. And if I didn't hear once, but maybe a thousand times growing up from my father, you know, Melinda, receivables are everything. Receivables are everything. (laughs) And my dad is 82 years old and God bless him when we became our own entity. I was telling my dad about it. And he says, well, don't forget, receivables are everything. Make sure you stay on top of that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I I feel like I need to put that. I'm not even joking. I feel like I need to put that on our website because that is so, it's so true. So Josh, what has worked in this process, in your invoicing process? Like when has it worked great and when has it not? Yeah, cash flow for us takes a hit for a couple of reasons with regards to invoicing. One is that there are some organizations we work with that are bigger and they can tell us their invoicing terms. And those invoicing terms are often something like net 90. So we're going to pay you 90 days from when you send us your invoice. But actually, we might pay you 120 days. We might pay you a year from when you send us your invoice because our finance system is so complicated and I can't get a hold of the finance guy and all sorts of litany of reasons like that. And we wait and we twiddle our thumbs and hope for the best and check in. But invoicing terms like those can definitely harm us. We also have organizations we work with that just don't pay on time. Often it's because they're smaller nonprofits that are doing their best, but wearing many, many hats. And the person doing finance is also the person doing comms or development. So we'll get paid a month late, two months late, depending. But often, honestly, sometimes cash flow issues are our fault. If we're not staying on top of our invoices or we're not sending them out exactly when we're supposed to send them out, we send them out a week late. If we forget to send it out and it goes out two weeks or three weeks late, that's on us. And that happens also. And that's also a byproduct of being a small business. We do our best to keep tabs on everything, but sometimes things do fall between the cracks. 
And do you have any flexibility? So I know that when people will come to me, when in, in our agreements, we have very standard terms around we must be paid within, I don't even honestly remember what they are, within 30 days or we stop working on the account. Do you have any triggers like that that can be, I think everybody, we all agree, everybody has good intentions. We're working with nonprofit organizations. We're working with families. Or we're all working with people with the best of intentions. A lot of times just there's just institutional issues with the organizations that we work with that can delay payments. Like, what are some solutions to this? Sure. We have one solution in place. And to peel back the curtain, we've never actually taken action upon it. But the solution is a late fee. Yeah. So if you cannot hit your payment terms that we agree upon, whether it's net 15 or net 30 or 45, we're going to charge you a 1.5% fee per month for delinquent payments. Like I said, we've never acted upon it. It's something that I think we would do in extreme circumstances. And honestly, maybe it can be a little bit tougher about, but we have never actually enforced it. You also mentioned, and I kind this resonated with me, about like you can't get to the right person. Have you had any because wouldn't it be great if you like knew the person paying the bills on the other side? Like, have you found, has either of you maybe found success there? Like I'm sending the invoice to the director of development and she's filing it in her spam folder or somewhere. But, but if you can figure out who the right person is, sometimes if you can get right to the AP clerk, I don't know if you've, any of you've had any success there. Well, I might chime in and just say, Please. Um, you know, I'm dealing with with parents, families. So it's yeah. figuring out which parent is in charge of paying the bills. And so as such, I have figured that out. Also, when families register for our services, for our classes, I always make sure, I always follow up and make sure that I have the email address on file where they would like everything sent to because that's important too because everyone today seems to have you know more than one email and some people like everything to go to their work email some people have an email for family accounts things like that so it was really important for me to understand right away how to communicate with who I'm dealing with you know who I'm invoicing for quite a while with the college we used to send out paper bills well as we all know within really literally the last 12 months it feels like the Postal service has kind of been turned upside down, and that's really not a great way to do it. And when we found out we were going to reinvent ourselves, I said to myself, you know, I'm a parent too, and if I'm going to be doing something for my kids, when am I doing it? I'm, I'm usually doing that at night, and I want it in email, and I want it right in front of me so I can see it. I don't have to lose it. I want it to come to me. So I was really listening to what people were telling me over the years. And the very first thing I did when we separated from the college was I set up an automated invoicing through our payment processor. And it's so easy. I love it. And I am happy to say this fall, as of December 31st, everybody, except for the people I have on payment plan, paid their tuition. Like wow. I collected everything. That's and, insane. And paying and online? They pay online. Um, I have some wow. families who prefer to bring a check to me. I know who they are, but I really have it down to a science with families. And, and I think you could really universally apply this maybe outwards to you know clients and things like that. But I invoice twice a year. We split it into two payments. It's manageable for everyone. The first payments due September 15th. The second payments due January 30th. I send out the electronic 
invoice this year on September 1st. So I give everybody 14 days. September 15th rolls around. I ran my report, see who paid, see who hasn't paid, send the invoice out again to everyone who hasn't paid. And I gave them 14 more days. I gave them till the 30th of the month. And then I pulled up my list and saw, you know, who who's in my, I call it my purple folder. That's the bad folder. You don't want to be in the purple folder, but those are the people that I have to chase. But I know in a way, you know, I've, I've known a lot of these people for a while now, so I know who to chase, but then I call them and then it's a personal phone call. And, and then from there on out, it's a personal phone call. And this is where my counseling background, believe it or not, has become extremely useful <laughs> Because, you know, it's you're dealing with people and money and sometimes money can be very sensitive. And sometimes there's an underlying issue that you don't know about. And it could be if it's not a family, it could be a client. You know, maybe somebody is having hard times. But if you talk to them and understand and listen and communicate nine times out of 10, I've been pretty successful at being able to just to work it out. And it's and because it's been that I've reached out and I've called them. You're absolutely right. And I, I do really value the point about being, especially with uh, COVID, Josh, I don't know what your experience here has been, but I know that we've transitioned really to almost exclusively an online payment structure, and that's made a world of difference. Josh, I don't know if you have any experience with that too. We do. In an ideal world, every organization we work with would pay us through a bank transfer. And it's easy because we use QuickBooks, and QuickBooks allows for that bank transfer to take place directly from the invoice. So we definitely would like that. Checks are hard because we often have invoices that are being paid from when we worked at a different location. And that may have just been like three months ago. So I've got to go to the office to get certain checks. Other checks are sent to my apartment. Some organizations have previous company addresses on file. So I'm going on a wild goose chase to get checks, which can be fun because you get them, but also it's uh, (laughs) a journey. To get there. So in an ideal world, we do want everybody paying us through bank transfers, through ACH. And some organizations are a little reticent to do so because they do things a certain way and that's the way they like to do them. Others are fine with it. So it, it's a discussion that has to happen. And it's interesting to hear different invoicing structures and arrangements. I was just looking back at Airtable, which we use for all of our invoice tracking. And we sent between two and 300 invoices per year in 2019 and 2020. And for us, those invoices are all different kinds of invoices. They're invoices where we have a project fee for a website and there are, let's say, six different milestones and we invoice when we complete each milestone. There are other projects that are a little bit smaller. Maybe they're two or three months where we send one invoice up front for half of the project fee, a second invoice at the end for the second half of the project fee. So there's no pattern, let's say, to our invoices because they are what they are depending upon the kind of work that we do, which in some ways complicates matters. Airtable has been a godsend to be able to keep everything organized and know what are the one-time invoices that are coming up? What are the recurring invoices? So if we host an organization's website every year, we'll send them an invoice. That's an example of a recurring invoice to help to keep things organized. So in an ideal world, we would have organizations pay on time, pay through bank transfers, and move on to the next invoice. And we're trying to do more of that. And I think we can make a bigger push 
to do so because we've even heard from a lot of nonprofits who reach out to us unprovoked and say, hey, we're moving to ACH. Here's a form you got to fill out. Give us your routing number. Give us your bank account number and we'll take care of it for you. I think they're realizing the benefits as well on their end, even if it's not the way they've traditionally done things. It's actually less expensive very frequently. So we use bill.com, for example, with all of our clients, and it's less expensive to send payment via ACH than it is to send via check. So organizations are now effectively just being motivated to pay that way. Going back to the point, Josh, that you were making before about you have different revenue streams coming in and a lot of your business is project-based. And then I was just thinking about in terms of getting paid quicker, what kind of leverage do you have? I I was actually, I think that my house is currently under construction, which is interesting in and of itself. That could be its own podcast. But what I think that the construction industry does so well is that they front end load all of their contracts. So like we, and it was, we've been through construction multiple times. We've bid out multiple vendors, but I do think, and I encourage my clients to do this all the time, like try to get paid for as much as possible, really deliberately think about the payment structure within your agreement. So I know that for my house, for example, my house is like 70 maybe right now, 70% done. I think we've paid for 90% of it. And I know that this last 30% could take forever because it always just trickles in at the end. And I can't help that that might just work a little for a small business or even a nonprofit that has an earned income stream. I think it could work also. The way that we structure our contracts is, you know, either side can terminate for any reason. And we only get paid for the work that we complete. So if we receive a large lump sum upfront payment, and for some reason decide mutually that we're not the best fit for each other, we're only going to get paid for the work that we complete. And the other part of that upfront lump sum payment will be returned. So I think that there is a degree of comfort that comes with that. I also do think that in general, when organizations want to redesign their website, which is our main revenue stream, we do custom website redesigns. It's often the largest, or maybe not the largest, but it's one of the bigger capital investments they'll make that year in the span of two or three years. And they're often kind of dipping their toe and cautious about making those kinds of spends. So they appreciate the way that things are phased out. So the project fee divided by six becomes more manageable to make those different payments. But it's not to say we couldn't try. And there have been projects where by just happenstance, an organization will say, hey, we're starting this project on June 30th and our fiscal year ends on June 30th. So we want to pay you a bunch of money upfront so we can take more of this funding from the previous fiscal year and have less of it in the following fiscal year. And of course, we're game for that. And there are situations like those where they're the ones making that suggestion. But to your point, I think that we could consider restructuring our payment plans a little bit to perhaps have fewer invoices and also receive a larger amount of the project fee upfront. Have either of you ever just given up on a payment and just said, this isn't worth it? I'm not chasing it. We're good. <laughs> yes, I have. And it's unfortunate, but you know, there comes a point, I guess we've had a couple families through the years that have not paid their bill. And what we do we have our handbook, we have our policies, and I will suspend the lesson program. And it kills me to do it because it does affect the child. But again, at the same time, I also have to protect my faculty. 
because how I retain or we at the school retain the faculty is because private instruction is a full year and we can guarantee them, you know, a certain income for the year. So as much as I'd like to save everybody, I can't. So I have to be mindful of that. And a family cannot return to the conservatory unless they have paid their unpaid balance. So it has prevented, you know, the families from coming back. So, and also we do not allow a family to register for lessons and classes for the next year until their outstanding balance is met. Now that has in one way, in a good way, cleared up a lot of issue with outstanding account balances is people like, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't pay my bill. Oh yeah, yeah, let me pay my bill because they do want their children to continue on with their music education. So, you know, it can work for you and work against you. Yeah, we have given up on a couple payments. I have to look back at the exact situations, but often when we give up on an invoice, it's because it could be for a couple of reasons. It could be because there was a series of strapping, staffing transitions that have made it so complicated to find out who even owes us the money that we decide it's not worth X number of hours to chase this money down. Let's just eat it and move on to the next one. That happens sometimes. Sometimes there are disputes over projects that we do and whether or not you know we held up our end of the bargain, the organization held up their end of the bargain. That happens. There can be some conflicts that lead to some unpaid invoices and some unanswered questions. That happens sometimes as well. So we definitely have had a handful of these. I think, plug for Brand K, working with Brand K, I think we've gotten better at not just invoicing, but also sending reminders. And I know, Melinda, you mentioned having everything automated. One thing that we could do, and maybe you're doing this now, is have reminders automated. So they go out 30 days after the invoice sent if the invoice is net 30. So, hey, just a reminder. And it's that kind of stock QuickBooks language that comes through. And then I think if that doesn't do the trick, it's more of the personal appeal like, hey, I'm running a small business. We've got this open invoice with you. If you could please close it out, we'd greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, we may need to enact that, that late fee that's in our signed contract and we haven't enforced yet. I would just like to add the merchant service processor that we use has the invoice feature. And I actually made some suggestions to the merchant service processor and they made the changes, which were great. And when you send out the invoice, it stays in there until it's paid. And then you can hit the resend button, which is great. And that's helped me go in. You know, I just set in my calendar little reminders for myself and I'll just go in two weeks later and I'll see the open invoice and I'll hit it again. And it goes with a message that just says, you know, as a reminder, you know, this, this is past due and it's enough. It's all I need, you know, and it's, it's worked out really, really well. So I've been really happy with that this fall. Yeah. And, and to the point you mentioned earlier, Amy, about who is the gatekeeper for the invoices, this is something that we often encounter where if we're told the organization wants us to send invoices to their finance department or one person finance team, great. That's music to my ears because that means that we're going to get connected directly to the source. And if we have any concerns, we can talk to them, but there often are not concerns. The issue is when we're sending invoices to someone who is, well, this doesn't always happen, but issues can emerge when we send the invoice to our main point of contact, who may be 
a comms associate, director of development, director of communications, a development associate, development coordinator, comms coordinator, whatever the title is. And what often happens is our invoices are sent through QuickBooks. You receive this very generic stocky looking email from QuickBooks and you probably say, I'll get to that later. And you never do. And then it just trickles down, 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 down in your inbox to the point where it goes to the second page of your inbox, and then it's gone. And organizations will often say, I think I may have gotten the invoice at some point, but I don't know. Not, I'm not sure. Can you resend it? And then we wind up needing to resend them. But we can actually tell in QuickBooks if they viewed the invoice or not based upon if they click the link in the email, which is good information to have, but ultimately doesn't matter if it's getting lost in the shuffle. So I don't blame organizations who receive our invoices and say, yeah, but also screw it right now. We'll get to that at some point later, next week or next month. But I think that is sometimes what happens where we don't have direct access to the person who's cutting the checks or making the online payment. Exactly, exactly. And and maybe just in the last 10 or 15 minutes, we've spent a lot of time focusing on invoicing, which is huge and, a, and really important. But I'm wondering if there are other vehicles that you, either of you use or your organizations use to help manage cash flow? Well, from a school perspective, when we send out the registration in May, people have the option then to go ahead and pay their fall tuition bill. And many of my families like to do that, which is great because then immediately I do have some cash reserves to start the year. Then with the billing piece of it twice a year, that also helps balance out as the monies flow in. So that's that's a natural. But the other option that I give families and about 20% of our families do take advantage is we set up a nine-month payment plan for payments from September to, to May. And you can either pay on the 15th or the 30th. So, And I don't mind setting up those payment plans. And now I figured out as well with the merchant service processor that I have, there is an automated feature for that, which is fantastic. I used to do that years ago by hand, but now I can set it up automated and it gives me cash flow. So I, I'm always comfortable right now knowing that payroll, when it rolls around, you know, twice a month, I don't have to sweat because I just, I know we've got it there and, and it's coming in at a pretty smooth flow with our budget. So that makes me, you know, feel really good, really comfortable. I was just going to just add one other thing that I have learned over the last few years that's really helped. And I think why this fall felt really successful to us with the automated piece of the invoicing is I think the most important thing is to make it easy for the customer to pay you no matter what. I've just been thinking about that a lot this year because there were years where, you know, I'd have to chase people for card or they'd have to call me. I mean, I have the credit card machine on the desk, you know, I can run to the, and I just realized that I had to kind of get inside everybody's head, like, and just make this really, really easy for them. I just think that's so important. And um, now that we're kind of focused on that and it's all the timing of when I send the invoices and, and I'm pretty sure that I can hit everyone and the follow-up phone calls all of that is so worth it because people are like, oh, thank God, I can just pay this real quick. Yeah, just send me the link. And they love it. So I know, fingers crossed. I hope 2022 is just as successful <laughs> as the fall has been. For us, I think it's helping clients know what to expect from us in terms of invoicing. And by that, I mean, getting into a more routine 
set up where you receive our invoice. And then if you don't pay it within the terms we've agreed to, you receive that reminder and you receive another reminder. And then you receive outreach from a member of my team who says, you know, your X day is overdue and, and now it's time to pay that invoice. Yeah. And I think that there are also, I know for us, we, I mean, we've always had a line of credit and I just think that debt vehicles like that, you know, you're, you have to pay payroll on time every month. And that's the biggest expense for most small to midsize nonprofit organizations. And that's like a given. And your, you know, your outstanding receivables, whether they be grants or tuition payments or projects or whatever it is, there's always going to be at least usually a 30-day lag at a minimum. So we always try to tell our clients, try wherever possible to keep like three to six months of cash on hand. And that can even be in the form of a line of credit that you only pull down when you need it. Because it really is for a lot of groups we work with, it's like a short-term gap. This isn't a systemic issue. It's really just, we have to pay our bills before we're going to get paid. So we need to be able to bridge that gap. And I think that can be really, really tricky, which is why, Josh, I know we work with you pretty closely. And Melinda, you mentioned this before. I think it's really important to forecast. There's like tremendous value in doing a forecast, both on a monthly basis and doing it on both an accrual basis and a cash basis. Because very frequently on an accrual basis, an organization will look great. But then when we translate it into a cash basis, we're like, oh my gosh, we're not getting paid on certain things for months on out. So we really have a cash situation. And Josh, I don't know. I know we've started working on forecasts together over the past year or so. And I'm, I'm just curious kind of what your thoughts are here in terms of how to use a forecast as a tool to manage all of this. Forecasts for us are incredibly valuable because what I mentioned before about our team growing, our overhead expanding, and the pressure mounting, forecasts help to mitigate that. Because sometimes where I'm standing, it's hard to see or predict or like envision the revenue that's going to come. But it's going to come because we've grown to a certain point where we have a really solid base of organizations we've worked with and we're building up our reputation in the space as a graphic design agency. And that work will continue to come. So seeing the forecast and seeing revenue numbers blocked out, not just by month, but also by discipline, website projects, branding projects, print projects, one-time revenue, recurring revenue, being able to see that gives me more confidence to know that we're going to be okay. We are growing. Our expenses are growing, but our revenue will do the same. And forecasts for us allow us also to take opportunities to make other investments, not just in team growth, but also, you know, a company retreat, professional development, management training, things like that, that we want to do more of as we grow and have done more of, especially this past year. And then brand K acts as a sounding board where I'll say, I really want to do this. And they'll say, too bad. You can't afford it. Or they'll say, yeah, you can do that, but you need to wait until Q4 2022 or actually a great time for that hire is Q1 2022, whatever it is. That's the kind of guidance that I've always sought out and often have made decisions based on instinct instead of insight or intellect. And that's where forecasts for us give me more confidence that the business can not just grow, but also grow in a way that allows us to make investments in things like professional development, which we've heard from our team is their number one priority. They want to keep growing and developing in their role and learn more to do more. Great. Thanks. Melinda, your thoughts? Well, we're in a unique situation where 
we're like a new business, but we're not a new business because, you know, we were part of this college and the college kind of had control over all that. And we're learning now and, and working with Brown K has been so fabulous for us because not only did we change our year end, you know, we went from an academic year end now to a regular December 30th year end. And then, so we're trying to figure out if the budget that we've always used, if it really truly is the right thing to do. And so talk to me in about six months, you know, as far as the forecast piece, because then I think we'll really have a good understanding if we're on the mark and where we need to tighten. But I will say one thing that this fall has been fantastic with working with Brand K as we set up our ledger, but we've also set up, we have all these outreach programs that we also invoice, you know, for fees and services. And I used to do all that by hand and you've automated that for me, which has been wonderful because that's allowed me to automate the student piece of it. So now I, I love the first of the month because I just feel so organized, you know, it's like, ah, great. Yeah. I got those invoices out and to have everything invoiced like that on time this is such a great feeling. So I'm excited about what we're going to see in May, you know, five, six months out where we are. And then really, I guess next year, when once we start registration, we start the school year next year. I mean, it's like, I think we can only, only get better and better with our budgeting. So. Yeah. I, Melinda, what you said just made me think of something, which is Another benefit of forecasts is that it puts a healthy amount of pressure on people like me and people like you to hold up our end of the bargain. Because if we don't invoice on time or don't invoice at all, skip invoices, miss invoices for any reason, that can throw the forecast out of whack. And Brand K has still done their job, but we're not doing ours. And sometimes pressure can be good to keep things flowing. And I think that helps a ton when it comes to forecast, it being a shared responsibility. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. Guys, this has been amazing. Thank you both so much for participating. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next week.